Hey everyone, this is Dr. Tim Cummings. And this is Dr. Jess Cummings. And this is the Healthy Kansas City Podcast. Welcome back to the Healthy Kansas City Podcast. And on this week's episode, we are interviewing Dr. John Metzger at Kansas City Vision Performance. Dr. Metzger is a functional optometrist who works in the special areas of developmental optometry, vision therapy, low vision rehabilitation, and neurooptometry. Lots of big words there. <laughs> he works with children and adults whose vision restricts reading, learning, work tasks, hobbies, driving, and enjoying daily life. Yeah, and we're really excited to introduce you guys to Dr. Metzger. I've known Dr. Metzger for close to a decade now. Uh, my work doing vestibular rehab for post-concussion cases is what brought me into contact with him. And Dr. Metzger is our go-to guy. If we have any vision-related problems mm -hmm. with our post-concussion cases, Dr. Metzger is just a pro's pro at sorting those out. And so, you know, as Jess was talking about, he works with a wide variety of people and we're really introduced it excited about introducing him to just the larger audience that we have here on the podcast. So we hope you guys enjoy this this day's episode. Um, spread it to all your friends and family. Leave a five-star review. And like we always say, if you don't want to leave a five-star review, don't leave a review. But enjoy the podcast, guys. <laughs> Welcome back to the Healthy Kansas City Podcast, everyone. We're super excited today to have one of my favorite healthcare providers, Dr. John Metzger of Kansas City Vision Performance, um, coming on with us today to talk about his practice. We're really excited to introduce you guys to him. So Dr. Metzger, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Tim and Jess. I appreciate being here. Yeah, we're, we're super happy to have you. So I think probably the best thing to do before Jess gives everybody like the weather summary today, which <laughs> you're want to do. I also so, talked about Dr. Metzger's bow tie. So, you know, different than the weather is way more exciting. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very, very nice Navy blue bow tie with, with white, white polka dots. You all should go see Dr. Metzger just yeah. to see the bow tie. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's an eye catcher for sure. So well, I, I think the, uh, the term for uh, having a bow tie on is natty. And then I usually remind people not nasty. <laughs> Yeah, you have to make sure you enunciate when you say that word. That's that's imp that's important. So, yeah, but yeah, well, let's let's just start with a little bit of back about your background because I think even the idea of vision performance is foreign to a lot of people. Like what that means, kind of how you got into this field and and what you're doing to help people from a, a vision perspective because it's certainly not the standard like just read the eye chart sort of deal that you got going on here. Well, uh, I, for 35 years, I had a practice in a country town. And uh, then, of course, you anything that walks in the door is your patient that day. And, <laughs> uh, but as time has gone by, and as the scope of practice of optometry has expanded, and uh, as just <clears throat> technology has expanded, um, uh, I mean, every, every area of practice has become practically a specialty and you cannot keep up with all that. So uh, some years ago, we had an opportunity to specialize and uh, we kind of grabbed that uh, and ended up down here in Kansas City. And so we started out, we had been practicing vision therapy for quite a while 
uh, back in uh, Hiawatha. And um, we'd had patients coming from 80 miles away to that practice. So when we got down here, vision therapy was one of the first things that we uh, started with because we were comfortable with that. And we were mostly seeing children with reading and learning problems at that time. Um, then we wanted the practice to grow uh, a little bit more so we didn't have to keep driving back and forth, keeping two practices going. And so we added on low vision care. Now, low vision care, uh, subnormal vision, people that either, either have hereditary or eye disease problems um, uh, and don't have good visual acuity and they're somewhere between visually impaired and blind and, and uh, so we help them use what they have. And then, you know, just by one of these, well, somebody heard about this guy that was doing this and that. I got invited to do a lunch and learn uh, to a group at KU. The doctors and the therapists at KU that were treating uh, mild brain injury patients and concussion patients kind of got the idea, well, we're all, we're all working with these patients, but nobody knows what it, anybody else is doing exactly. And we need to start talking to each other. So they did, their therapists, PTs, uh, OTs, uh, MDs, uh, they all started having uh, some sit down chats, lunch and learn, get to know each other. And so uh, by some means I got invited uh, over to give a talk and we went from seeing about, I don't know, three or four pe people who'd had a concussion during a year to like six or eight a week. Mm. Wow. I don't know what percentage that is, mm. but it's quite a bit of in, uh, increase. And uh, so anyway, that's the main area where our practice is growing right now. And what an exciting area. You know that. I mean, you oh, yeah. help people get back to the life that they uh, lost, basically. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's kind of how we, how we got going down here. Now, yeah. Now we live in Kansas City where instead of the rural community where if uh, Gene and I, and Gene's my therapist, my wife, uh, <laughs> if we want to go out for supper, we can actually say, well, where would you like to go out for supper instead? Would you like to go out for supper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there's certainly trade-offs and things change a little bit from rural to urban for that's sure. Right. That was a good place to raise our children. Yeah, well, that's really cool. And um, just to let, um, our audience know, you know, I think I've been referring to you for the better part of, oh man, probably seven or eight years now. So I got introduced to the world of vestibular treatment through KU as well, um, through a, a continuing education course down there with one of my um, friends in neurology and just looking at things from purely a, uh, a rehab kind of vestibular perspective. And then um, I think through a mutual acquaintance, I think maybe your office manager at the time came by um, the clinic that I used to work at to introduce herself and talk about the work you were doing with concussion patients. And the thing that I found, which is really interesting, and I think this would be useful for the audience too, is understanding that like a concussion is not always just like a, a brain, or it is a brain thing, but it's not just this thing where it's like, we've got to get you a little steadier on your feet and we're going to give you these exercises where you know, you, you just gradually work up the intensity or the complexity of these exercises. There's a communication between the, the brain, the ears, the eyes, and the rest of the body. And one of the things that, that I always 
noticed in my patients that I saw who had post-concussion syndrome is there was a very um, distinct type of patient presentation where people would have what we would call a, uh, an ocular issue where they had problems being able to really track objects coming towards them, either with one eye or the other or both eyes. And um, that's when I started um, sending patients over your way, your way. And then I think you came and did an in-service at the clinic I used to work at to really kind of expand on the work that you did, how you really drew out those issues, those limitations in terms of the way the eyes were functioning, and then the interventions that you were doing, which I thought were just really interesting and innovative and things I had never seen before, been exposed to before even having that vestibular training. So maybe could you talk a little bit about that? Because concussions, I think people think of that still in some circles as it's kind of a, a rest, you know, and just let the brain heal sort of deal. And I, what I tell people all the time is that, well, there's a component of rest, but there's also a very intentional process to restore that normal function of the body as well, you know, and particularly in the fields of like vision and vestibular function, so. Yeah, the, the vision vestibular uh, connection there is really intimate. And uh, um, one does not work without the other. Uh, I mean, if you stand on one foot, fine, but if you stand on one foot and close your eyes, you'll really get an appreciation for the vision input. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and another thing I didn't know, uh, I mean, I was talking about the PDs and physicians not knowing about the vision uh, component a lot of times. Well, I, I didn't know about the, you know, PTOT uh, input uh, into the whole therapy thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, but I mean, if you scratch a PT, an OT, and an OD, we all bleed the same blood type. It's called yeah. <laughs> blood type T, which is therapy. Yes. And, we, and we, once we start talking to each other, we get it that this is just another one of us. But they came through the, to, to, through the, into the therapy room through a different door. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, yeah, we... we you know, a lot of my patients have had uh, a lot of great vision uh, foundational support uh, from their PT mm -hmm. uh, before they get to my office. And then uh, uh, hopefully, mostly, I don't refer to the PT because they've already been there. They right. The patient has come from. So I don't refer back a long time uh, or uh, very often. Uh, I'm not. I'm not initiating the patient relationship with that professional, mm -hmm. but uh, we uh, uh, we do work on the same thing. And then, and then in the optometric realm, I think uh, we we expand. There's a certain subset of visual uh, skills which apply to the vestibular system and and other things that uh, physical therapists are doing. But then we we will take the rest of the visual system, and uh, uh, there are skills there which are not addressed in, in your therapy room, perhaps, mm -hmm. and uh, try to put the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. So it really is uh, a team effort to get that done. Absolutely. And with concussions, so for those of you listening, 
I'm the half of the Restore Thrive business. I don't do the vestibular rehabs. <laughs> I know a lot from Tim and I will pull him in with my clients if I suspect there's a vestibular component. But Dr. Messer, do you see that ocular issue with all concussion patients or is it only a select few that may have that visual component that's an issue that you need to retrain? Yeah, well, I'm sure it, I do feel <laughs> I'm always there. It, it affects the visual system is affected in concussion so often that I'm surprised when we find a patient who's had a concussion and they don't have a visual visual. Issue. Interesting. Yeah. So basically everybody should come see you. <laughs> I mean, I, we talk about that all the time from our end. Like if you've had a concussion, you should see a PT to make sure if you're an athlete to make sure that you are prepared to go back because so many people get this just rest, turn off the lights, don't look at screens for a week to, you know, X amount of time. And then they might be clear to go back and play. And it's like, well, what Tim does, you go in and you'll have them squat and lunge and run or walk or like their sports specific activities to make sure, are you getting symptoms with that? If so, your, your brain's not recovered yet. You're not ready to go back. And then on your end, Dr. Metzger, there might be some of those ocular and visual issues going on where if they're driving and they have to track, right? Or if they work on a computer for their job and they're scrolling all the time, or all of us are on our phones and social media and scrolling. So it could be a big problem. Um, so really all of our post-concussion patients should be seeing the PT end of things and maybe get a screen from you, right? To make sure things are okay. Uh, yes, that's probably, that's probably true. Mm -hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I always tell patients this, I say, you know, if you can, if, if there's a job you can do with your eyes closed, vision's not part of it. <laughs> so close your eyes and see how well you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll give that a try and see what yes. happens. Good luck yeah. with that, guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the vision is so pervasive. Uh, I don't know. They say, I mean, you can start a lot of sentences with that, but they say there's probably 50 areas in the brain that process visual information. So, mm -hmm. so if you have a concussion, uh, a brain injury of any kind, um, with, uh, and it might not be a concussion, it might be a physical damage, like in a, mm -hmm. an accident or something. Um, it, it's hard to believe that some something in the visual system is not affected and it may not be to where it needs treatment, but something will be. Or if it's not, if the problem, the visual problem isn't caused by uh, the concussion, you may have had a uh, pre-existing condition and that, and you're totally able to deal with that uh, because you've got a robust visual system. Mm -hmm. But now your, your general system is down and then that underlying problem that was always there comes to the forefront because you can't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. So whether it's there to begin with or created by a concussion or uh, some sort of brain injury, then um, uh, it needs addressing so you can get back into life again. Yeah. Well, like you said, yes, it's such a, uh, an instrumental part of the way that, that we operate in the world as human beings and the way that the vestibular functions, the system functions is so tied to vision as well. I think that's an important thing for, for folks to realize. I want to go back to something you said too um, that I, I think is relevant for us and a lot of the people we talk to as well because we have kids is that idea of difficulties with 
um, learning and reading and comprehension and things like that. And I think a lot of people would assume that those things are things that just are maybe more congenital in nature, like you're just born with that. And that's something that you're just going to have to continue to, to work to overcome just by the, the, the sweat of your brow, so to speak, you know, and I think that there, there's sometimes a lack of understanding that there can be a visual processing component to that. So could you give us a little insight in terms of like what you see in that regard, maybe with con concussion cases, but even people who don't have concussions, people who just come in who maybe have complained of these problems with, with reading or comprehension um, and how vision ties into that. Well, in that arena, uh, m many times when, if, let's say you don't have a child that's had any head trauma or birth trauma or something like that, but in their development, if there's a period of time where there's a critical development of some uh, aspect of either motor, uh, auditory, or visual uh, development, where maybe the child uh, has, has asthma, or maybe the child has chronic uh, 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 chronic uh, uh, allergies, or for whatever reason, they go through a stressful time of their life, and then building blocks of that natural progression of development get left out, uh, don't get addressed, um, or are under stress for some reason. Then you have a system that's not fully functional. It doesn't have all the components working well together. And uh, so you it's not that you make maybe can't do it or learn how to do it. It's just that you, you haven't yet and you've got missing pieces to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. uh, so you go back and you identify what's not working well, fill in the gaps, and then you have a whole uh, individual that can handle whatever they need, like reading or learning. Or in the case of concussion, they have a physical event, they get a setback, and so they need to re redevelop things. You, do you all work with primitive reflexes? We do just very, I would say, a bare bones approach to that, just in terms of looking at um, just fundamental movement patterns like rolling, um, contralateral coordination, th those mm -hmm. type of things, you know, some of those base abilities that we see, we've seen like our kids, you know, be yeah. able to display, but I remember um, uh, coming to your clinic for an in-service a couple of years back and one of your PTs there was talking about um, the reflex integration, which was something that I didn't have formal training with beyond just kind of understanding the normal developmental process for, for kids. So yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about that because I think that that was really interesting just in terms of the way and some of the case examples that, that she demonstrated as well. Um, the way that that made such a, a huge difference, not only in the kid's physical ability, but just their cognitive ability as well. Yeah. Well, so primitive reflexes are, the, uh, are the, uh, this. When you're born, you have a certain number of programmed in automatic reflexes. Now, one, one of them is a, a little baby will wrap their uh, little hand around your finger for support. Mm -hmm or uh, the sucking reflex. 
-hmm. You know, you don't have to teach infants these things. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a number of different ones. I don't know how many there are. When we're, when we're testing, we hone it down to about seven of them. But anyway, uh, usually as development proceeds, those primitive automatic reflexes become integrated into more complex re, uh, reflexes and the primitive ones disappear. Mm -hmm. Well, if for whatever reason in development they don't get integrated, they don't disappear, then they interfere because they, they keep being expressed when they're not needed anymore. And so uh, that can, those primitive reflexes and their integration form kind of a foundational neurological platform that more complex uh, motor uh, responses and motor abilities are built on top of. And so when that whole structure is not working well, it can interfere with uh, right left. Uh, uh, integration, uh, motor uh, abilities of one sort or another, uh, including eye uh, movements and tracking and things like that, and uh, right-left concepts, because let's say uh, a child is uncomfortable with crossing the midline, which is just, uh, you know, reaching for something on the other side of uh, your midline, your mm -hmm. plane. Mm -hmm and things like that. And when, uh, so when those things are just not efficient, then other, other things aren't efficient because they're relying on the fact that those primitive reflexes are uh, not interfering. And so either they don't develop well, and so a school-aged child might have some school difficulties, or let's say you get down the line to an adult, they have an automobile accident, they have a concussion. So they regress and those, some of those primitive reflexes start manifesting again and again, they're interfering with, uh, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the expert. My, we have an OTA on the staff, an occupational therapy assistant, and uh, she's our resident expert, but mm -hmm. uh, she, she could explain better than I do how they interfere with all kinds of things and who knows what, you know, we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We well, like it seems like there's so much depth to those reflexes too, in terms of, like you said, how they not only affect the motor planning, you know, and how you navigate in a physical way, but they affect the cognitive side of the equation as well. Yes, that's exactly right. So anyway, th there's a lot of ways to come at um, skills that either have regressed as in the case case of concussion or never develop well, uh, mm -hmm. like in uh, children that are growing up. Now, when we, <laughs> I remember when we were uh, in our, uh, in a seminar way back, this has been at least 15 years ago, my wife and I were in a seminar and they were teaching us about primitive reflexes. And so the instructor was uh, evaluating each one of us for reflexes. And so, <laughs> Some gal, uh, after we got all done with that, she raised her hand and she said, well, I, I had about, you know, five of the seven that weren't functioning properly. She said, is that why I can't do the text two-step? She <laughs> <laughs> said, yeah, I, I think you've got something there. <laughs> well, but, I think this is so fascinating because just even from like our side, like on the PT side, unrelated to vestibular issues, concussion issues, 
we see similar issues with our other clients, even as adults, if they have missed hopping, running, skipping, jumping, throwing, catching, they will have issues as an adult or pain because their body can't coordinate itself well, or you have this muscle imbalance that they had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so like you learned this in your TPI training, mm-hmm. Tim went through the Titleist Performance, Performance Institute years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see golfers, but it's interesting because unrelated to golfing, they were talking about what they do when they work with kiddos. Because don't they have, Tim, like a 10-year program? Like they take kids. They have a junior's program. Yeah. And they don't put a golf club in their hands for probably the first 18 months of the program. They just basically make sure they have all those base, you know, coordinated abilities. Like Jess just mentioned, like, do you have some general physical capacity and ability, you know, to express these skills, which I think is probably the smartest way to go about training kids. It's like, you don't need to make them expert level performers when they're eight years old. You need to make sure that they've got all those fundamental physical abilities now that they understand how to do that. And That's I a think- huge misconception. You know, parents think that, oh, if I want, you know, a Tiger Woods kid, I'm going to have them start golfing at three or four years old. And, you know, they'll get this golf scholarship or whatever sport it is, you know, whatever the kid's playing. And that's actually not true. Multi-sport athletes are better athletes when they specialize in one because they have a well-rounded approach. And these developmental skills, you know, not even primitive reflexes, but those other things that we're seeing, if they've missed one of those things, a lot of my adult clients cannot roll. They have no idea how to roll. They can't coordinate their glutes and their abs, which are kind of the two muscle groups that you need to work together to roll. And those two muscle groups need to function in a lot of daily tasks. Yeah. So it's so fast. I mean, that reminds me very much of what we do on the rehab side of things, even outside of the vestibular piece of things The the primitive reflexes are so fascinating. And that brings me back to PT school, actually, because we don't see peds like real little kids, you know, we'll see kids that are maybe eight to 10 years old or older. It's not the majority of our population. Um, peds is a specialty for sure. There's mm-hmm. pe- great pediatric PTs in the area. Children's Mercy is wonderful. So we don't get to see a lot of those babies or toddlers or real young ones, but it's, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about how even adults, right, may come in for an issue and they're, they're missing one of those things or it's trying to integrate itself in, but it's not really integrated, right? Like what you were talking about. So yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. well, you're talking about uh, uh, integration and de- development and, you know, d- two things happen. If things don't get integrated and uh, work well together, you're going to have a an asymmetry. You're going to have mm-hmm. an imbalance. And I mean, I'm I'm think I'm talking to you. Your yeah, language. That's PT yeah. talk right there. Yeah. Because yeah. look at all the uh, uh, aches, pains, and uh, strains, and all the stuff that you deal with that are due just exactly to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And um, uh, so the and the other thing concussions do. Uh, is they get things out of sync. So everything mm-hmm. needs to work together. And let's say you got those 50 spots in the brain that are processing, in my case, visual information. And if the signals from that uh, are out of sync because, because of some swelling or inflammation or something that that CAT scan can't pick up in the brain is uh, affecting the brain there, uh, mm-hmm. then, then uh, uh, the communication, it can be off a fraction of a second, try one area trying to communicate with another. And so uh, uh, it's, so the information is garbled. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I use these two examples a lot. It's like 
you're watching TV, you're watching a video of something on TV, and the auditory output is not in sync with the video. And what are, what's happening? You're sitting there glued to the TV trying to figure out this. Are the lips ahead of the audio or are they behind the audio? And <laughs> yes. You know, and this applies to, to the physical realm, what you guys do too. If you're not getting uh, muscle input coordinating with the semicircular canals, life is hell for those people. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not pretty at all. And uh, so being out of sync is the other uh, aspect of this. Uh, it's not just uh, asymmetry or poor development, but things are just not working together. Um, and let's see, the other, uh, uh, I was going to give you one more example. Maybe I'll come up with it here pretty quick. No, You're starting okay. to sound okay. like me. Got, I do that after three kids. I'm like, there is something that happens to your brain. <laughs> if I don't say something I'm thinking right away, I lose it. <laughs> that's all right. Well, that's why, why we love doing the podcast is we've got time to like come back to Absolutely. some of these topics. Well, one of the things I was thinking about was maybe giving people some insight into what your assessment process is like, maybe not like individual tests, but you know, the time you take with them, kind of what you're looking for at a base level when somebody walks through your door and is having some visual problems. Can you maybe walk us through a little bit of what that process looks like? Sure. Uh, well, we do the standard. Well, we don't do the standard. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't send send people we to you if you just did the standard. So we do, we do what's we do what's necessary, but uh, we will do a standard like uh, visual acuity test on the IHR, which is better mm -hmm. than one or two. Everybody's done that before. Mm -hmm. uh, I am blessed that I don't usually have to do an eye health exam because about ninety eight percent of my patients uh, have been referred to me. They already have an eye doctor, and especially if they had a, a accident most of them have uh, recently been to see their physician, the eye physician anyway. And so they have the eye stuff taken care of. So we're looking at, uh, beyond that, we're looking at eye coordination. Now, horses don't have to worry about this. One eye points east, one eye points west. <coughs> they don't work. <coughs> but humans have to. And both eyes have to be right on the object at the same time and the object may be something as small as a dot on the top of an eye in, in reading. So it's a pretty fine uh, uh, activity. So the eyes have to work together. Now, any optometrist will look at this in their eye exam to some extent, but we really do go into it in quite some depth. Uh, I was just using a test the other day that goes back, I'm sure it goes back 100 years, gives rich, rich information. And, uh, so we want to make sure that that eye coordination has good flexibility and stamina to get you to get the job done. Then we look at eye tracking. And again, uh, op all optometrists and ophthalmologists will do this to some extent. But again, we go into a little deeper things we can time with a stopwatch, uh, uh, things we can uh, count. Uh, uh, so, and, and then refer to standardized tables of, of performance. And uh, then the other thing is uh, focusing. So, I mean, we all have a basic concept uh, of what focusing is, uh, but uh, 
uh, we have to keep things clear, but it also has to be accurate. Now you can be looking at it at the page of a book and say, I'm, I'm seeing that clearly. And you can, you can read it just fine, but that doesn't mean your focusing is on the book. It could be in front of the book or behind it. And if it's too far off, it can be a source of uh, uh, stre uh, stress in the visual system, or you have to be able to change it quick enough, like a, a child in a classroom uh, to see uh, far away, then down to the desk, then over to the workbook and back to one and, and the other and so on. So you have to be able, you have to have flexibility in that as well as stamina to keep it going as long as you, as you need to. So uh, uh, binocular vision, eye tracking and uh, focusing. Now those are basic eye skills, but then we go uh, into uh, an area of testing that I, I will call spatial, where you have to process the information out in front of you. Um, and this ties in, of course, to your uh, specialty very intimately uh, of balance because a lot of people have uh, balance issues because they don't know where they are in space. Mm -hmm. There's an optometrist back in the uh, 40s and 50s who is a father of this, this approach in, in optometry, this, uh, more than just eyesight the cognitive uh, aspects of vision. And he was saying things that people were just not understanding at the time. And the more we uh, find out about uh, neurological development uh, and, and brain processing today, we look back at what he was saying and he was spot on and so mm -hmm. many things about processing what's out there in your world. He knew that, he knew that uh, vision processing was more than just seeing those letters clearly on the eye chart and walking away with a nice pair of glasses. And we, we're even finding out now that sometimes you process better when you're not perfectly in focus, your system just works better. Um, That's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Didn't know that. No, here's another thing that will blow your, blow your mind too, is that uh, there's a gal up in uh, Northbrook, uh, Illinois, who, uh, That's my know. area. I'm from Chicago, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, so uh, uh, my wife Jean and I have been to any number of her uh, uh, seminars, but she will test. The, she will test the synchrony between auditory and visual, and she will test with the eyes closed using lenses in front of the eyes, changing the behavior with those lenses. Wow. And so with the so, eyes closed. So wait, she's putting lenses closed. on people with their eyes closed and that's changing their auditory performance. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, there's a lot more to just vision than seeing. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, in, in, in testing, for, uh, getting back to your original question, in testing uh, the uh, kind of visual things we do, I mean, just like you do, we'll have people walk up and uh, back in the hallway. Uh, in our therapy room, I, I hung a, a two lines of uh, swinging balls hanging from the ceiling. We'll get those swinging back and forth and have people walking up and down for them because you know very well people with concussions can't stand. Uh, a lot of times they can't that stand. That will drive them crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So sometimes we have to ramp up the, uh, and then I've learned a few tests uh, that come from your office uh, to turn the burner up on, on a particular skill or testing. But anyway, so then one um, resource that we have uh, that's intimately connected with vision and vestibular, <clears throat> which you don't have uh, available, is using lenses and prisms to test and uh, to help with. And one of the, so a lot, uh, on a number of occasions, we can find a lens or a prism which we can let the patient wear, which may not have any focus strength at all. It may be in a person that wears no glasses and needs no glasses, but if we put uh, a certain prism, for instance, on them, uh, they can straighten up, they can walk, walk straighter, they can walk with more confidence, uh, they can walk without dizziness. And so when I give a talk to physical therapists, I always tell them that one of my chief jobs, besides getting that patient better, the second job is to make your job easier because Absolutely. when you have a patient that's more uh, stable, you're going to get more done with them and they're going to get better faster. Then you wean them off, let's say, wean them off at the prism, uh, maybe, uh, you know, half as much and then take them away altogether. Uh, as you proceed through therapy, they're going to, they're going to get back to normal uh, quicker. And so that's, that's one of my main jobs is to make PT jobs easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. Make, yes. Anything that makes our job easier is fantastic. And we love collaborating with other professionals because we see this all the time. Our clients never just need us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they need you. Sometimes they need another doctor. Sometimes they need a dietitian. Yeah. Um, sometimes a masseuse. You know, there's all sorts of things that work fantastic with PT. But here's a question for you. We see so many balance issues. And almost all of my balance patients are super, super weak. You know, of course we see, we know this as people age, they tend to lose balance. And I think there's a lot of theories as to why that happens. One of the things I see from, from my specialty is the weakness piece of things. I'm like, well, yeah, if your hip is completely unstable because you are so weak and you don't do any strength training and you go to stand on your, you know, one leg, of course you can't do that well. <laughs> your foot and ankle might be weak, your hip is weak, all of those things control your lower leg. But just like we talked about, you know, hey, should anyone who suffered a concussion come see you for a screen to kind of get cleared, make sure their vestibular system, their ocular system is working okay. What about balance issues? If we have older folks that come in, is it a wise thing to have all of them referred to you just to make sure there's not some sort of ocular issue going on that's causing their balance problems? Uh, that's very possible because, uh, as again, sometimes Sometimes people, <clears throat> as we get older, we can't deal with what our system was very, very competent in dealing with before. <clears throat> and so when that underlying uh, stress uh, comes to the surface, <clears throat> then it may flow into other things besides vision and let's say into balance. Uh, one thing I'm thinking of especially is a vertical deviation of the eyes where one eye wants to point up a little off axis so they're not pointing at the uh, same thing at the same time and their eye muscles have to continually uh, keep them on uh, on on track uh, keep them pointed correctly so when that mismatch that vertical mismatch which is the hardest one horizontal mismatches are 
can be difficult, but vertical can be very difficult. And when that comes to the fore, things start breaking down and um, balance could certainly be one of those things. Hmm. We, and, and, and we can address that either with uh, vision therapy activities or with uh, prisms sometimes. I, I, I always tend to go with the prisms if we can because it's, it's quicker, cheaper, and less time uh, uh, intensive. Um, Let's talk about those prisms a little bit because that is, it's a different concept that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. And certainly I wasn't before um, I got connected with you and learned how you were using those. So what, how does a prism work? How does it differentiate from say like that just prescription, you know, set of glasses that somebody would get and you know, how, how does that function to, to help somebody? Cause it, it, I know that it works like you were talking about. It's almost like a therapeutic intervention as opposed to just a prescription that somebody's going to wear for the rest of their life. So that's correct. Well, a lot of people have a basic idea what a prism is. And you see a lot of times you see a prism and there's white light hitting the prism and it comes out in a rainbow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the basic uh, prism concept we have, but the, the, the direction of the light is changed when it goes through there. <clears throat> so generally speaking, we use prisms to change the direction of light. So if you have an eye that's deviating, you can use a prism to put the image up where the eye is pointing so the eye can be where it wants to be and then it feels good. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it has to make a correction, which can be uh, throw a lot of tension and effort and stress into the system. So if you have eyes that are crossed in or crossed out or crossed up and down, uh, many times you can correct that with a prism by getting the eyes then pointed at the image without effort. Now, the other thing a prism does is this. Prism not only changes the direction of light, prism redistributes the light. So it's not just a direction change, but it, it's also a uh, perceptual change. I've got some nice slides on it hard to describe, but if you, if you picture a piece of graph paper and then if you put a prism in front, it changes the size of the squares. It shrinks them on one side of the graph and expands them on the other side of the graph. So we're talking about <clears throat> not just changing the direction of the light, we're talking about redistributing the concentration of light, okay? So now, having that concept in your brain, think of this. The retina of your eyes is actually a, an extension of your brain. It's actually brain tissue. Interesting. And those retina nerve cells go to different places in the brain through different pathways, depending on where they are inside your eyes. And some of them cross over from the right side to the left side and the left to right side. So this, it's pretty complex. So when you, when you change the pattern of the light, the spatial pattern of the light on the retina, you're actually influencing different parts of the brain to a greater or lesser degree than they were naturally. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're changing input into the brain, think of that old computer saying, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if you change what's going in, if it's garbage to your brain and the the way you change it becomes less garbage garbageified 
then you can actually help people process that information normally, naturally, and in better sync. For instance, I had a gal one time, we were walking down the hall, and uh, I put some non-prescription prisms on her. Did not affect her focus at all, but she put them on. She walked down the hall, and she said, with this kind of dazed look on her face, this is the first time in six months I feel like I've been walking on the earth. Hmm. Wow. And that's what we're talking about. It's an immediate change. And if you will do, if you'll do a CAT scan, uh, not a CAT scan, uh, uh, an EKG, uh, not, a, not an EKG, <laughs> an EEG, electroencephalogram. Yes. Okay, the brain waves. If you'll do a, a brainwave test, uh, and then put prisms on, you'll get a, you'll get a different reading on the brain waves. I've remarkably, that you and I can see, and I don't know a darn thing about brain, uh, brain waves, mm -hmm. but you can see the pattern change just instantly. And so it is changing brain. So we're not working with eye sights so much as brain processing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the value of prisms. Now, don't I wish, just like you, you know, when you guys work with the patient, they, they come in, you test them, oh, uh, this is a pretty standard uh, uh, diagnosis, and we know that we can help that because people just, can, we can just help that as mm -hmm. do. And then you, you, you throw in the therapies uh, that you normally do, and oh my gosh, they're not getting better. Well, it helped the last 20 people, but what about that person? Yeah. I wish, I wished just like that we could always pick out the right prism for, you know, here, here's the symptoms, here's the numbers, here's the testing. Oh, it's this prism. I'll take this one out of the drawer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's remarkable that the individuality. It's like, yeah, there's, there's always, you always have to account for that. Yeah, and hey, listen, don't you know, the, the MDs, when they write a prescription, why do you think they call it the practice of medicine? Because it doesn't always work. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. not criticism. That's, that's just a hard-fought lesson in uh, treating people. It is, yeah. I, I wish more, more of us would just be kind of upfront about that. You know, it's like, well, this is what we, we think should work. We've seen this work. We'll see how this works for you, and then we'll adjust from there based on what we find. Well, there's, yeah, an art, there's an art to what all of us do, and that's where you have to experiment and play sometimes because it's yeah. not always black and white and straightforward like you'd like it to be. But yeah. I think that's what makes our job interesting, all of our jobs. You know, yeah. no two people are the same. And even if they have the same presentation of symptoms, there could be a different root cause and always keeps my brain going, which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to be a, a high school science teacher. So I, I, that's how I started life out. And uh, so I love this kind of stuff. It is a little bit sciencey. And yeah. uh, of course, the uh, the counselor at the high school counseled me right out of teaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. We've had conversations with other people on, on the podcast about how they got into the things they were into. And it's always a somewhat circuitous route, you know, where it, it, they think they're going to go one direction and they end up finding that they're interested in something else or somebody counsels them in one way. And it's like they end up figuring out like through just trial and error that's like, well, actually I might be actually be better off in this realm, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting uh, phenomenon for sure. Yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about with you, and this is something that I've seen in the in-service that you've done 
um, and you talked a little bit about this earlier, is in the case of low vision. And I remember in, I think it was an in-service that you did at your office, you um, talking about a case of a woman who was really struggling with low vision and you were playing with kind of the spectrum of like color you could put on the lenses and how that changed her ability to see. Can you talk maybe a little bit about that low vision side of your practice and, and what you're doing on that end to help people? For sure. Um, when, we, when we use color lenses, and of course in the medical community, you have to make it look a little better than that, so we call them filters. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Let, let's let's use let's use a you know a, a correlate language here to make it sound official and medical. So that's right. So when we use colored lenses, again, just like with prisms, we're changing the energy of the light that gets into into the eyes, mm -hmm. and consequently processed by the brain. And so we we use colored lenses. Well, actually, to take a step back here, we use them in uh, concussion care a lot. Mm. And uh, they can cause some similarly pretty dramatic and immediate changes in that patient's comfort level. And again, mm. gosh, I wish we could pick out just a perfect one every time because we took a good case history, but it doesn't work that way again. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so we use them in concussion care a lot, but in uh, low vision care, sometimes they can change again the processing in the retina and they can make things clearer and easier to see. Uh, so a, a story, maybe the same one I told, because I keep telling it that you heard, is mm -hmm. that uh, we had a sweet little gal <clears throat> who lived in uh, 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 a controlled living environment because she was elderly and her daughter lived with her. And her daughter was deaf and had the sign. And mama was losing her vision. And she couldn't read the signs anymore. I mean, this was a bad situation. Yeah. Um, uh, on all kinds of levels. Um, and so anyway, I did my low vision exam and I could not find, magnification would not help the gal. Uh, new lenses would not help the gal. Oh my gosh. So what do I do? I take her to my, uh, the occupational therapist I have on staff. I said, Terry, help. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, uh, so she kind of uh, quizzed me about what was going on. And so she sat down to work with her in her uh, exam room. And uh, uh, as it turned out, uh, Terry tried a few things. She uh, tried a few devices to uh, try to help the gal. And then uh, kind of the light bulb went off and she uh, thought, well, let's see, I, I better try some colored lenses. And so she tried some and she found a tint. She, she put that tint on the, the, uh, on, the, on the grandma, on the mom. And all of a sudden the gal said, well, you've got flowered pattern on your blouse. And it was a flowered pattern. And uh, Terry has had all kinds of um, experience from psychiatric OT care on down the line. And one of her talents she picked up was some uh, 
uh, sign language. So she starts throwing a few signs at her and the gal could see the signs with those crazy glasses on. And so it turned out that magnification didn't help her, lenses didn't help her, all the standard stuff didn't help her, but she put those glasses on and she reestablished communication with her daughter. Yeah. That's so, so important. I mean, quality of life right there. That is life changing. That's amazing. That's and I, I was introduced to the idea of low vision therapy. It wasn't one of your, your clients, but many years ago, um, I remember seeing a client who lived alone, had no family in town, lived in, in a uh, assisted living facility, and she was independent to that point, but was starting to lose so much vision that it was becoming a problem. You know, she wasn't going to be able to stay independent. And I, I didn't even realize that was a thing. I'm younger. I mean, I wear contacts, but, you know, I had no idea that low vision therapy existed. It was fascinating to hear her talk about the different devices they sent home with her and things they were trying to help keep her independent at home so she could get around. It was fascinating. So what you do is phenomenal. I mean, that's so important for those of us listening, I think, as we age to know that people like you exist. And if we're starting to lose some vision function and, and really struggling with our independence that that's, you know, a route we can go, we can come see somebody like you and there's all sorts of therapies for that. Right. So yeah. love it. And yeah. I would love for you to kind of tell the audience here, um, maybe some things that people would not realize they could come see you for. Um, what are some of the different types of problems that people will come see you for all the way from kids to adults that our audience may or may not be aware of? Well, gosh, I think we've hit on a lot of them. So mm -hmm. starting with children, I mean, uh, for instance, uh, take an example, autistic children. Uh, sometimes we can put prisms or lenses on them, which instead of toe walking, they'll walk flat. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Normally. Uh, uh, we, we work with kids, we, we do work with uh, kids uh, in sports vision. Uh, now, I am personally not an athlete, never have been. I was always filming the games for the coach. <laughs> That's your excuse, Sorry. right? <laughs> hey, you were part of the team. Playing field. Somebody so, had to film. <laughs> athletes um, uh, to help their timing and their spatial perception and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, headaches. Uh, again, there's a lot of visual uh, components to a headache, mm -hmm. which if we can just weed them out, there's a gal, there's an optometrist in, uh, I believe it's Michigan. And I've sat in on a couple of her, uh, virtual seminars, but we used to prescribe, uh, you know, two or three units of prism for some things. And she found out that you can prescribe a half or a quarter of a unit. Well, no, no, nobody was prescribing that because that mm -hmm. didn't do any good. But she found out there's a bunch of people out there that need that. That's exactly and, what they need. Huh? Cool. Yeah, there's kids crave it. And so uh, headache is a one big area there. Mm. Um, uh, oh, one, one big uh, area these days is uh, they call it computer vision syndrome mm. people are locked on the screen i mean mm -hmm. they're not on their phone they're locked on their screen forever and ever and especially in this covid season everybody yeah. is on zoom all the time I mean, i'm sick at the computer <laughs> so, yeah. yeah that's true and and so the, and so the uh prolonged 
close work uh, can cause a lot of problems. And some people get to the point where they just can't stick at it as long as they should. And again, it's not always a focus problem, uh, although it can be. Sometimes it's a prism problem. Sometimes it's a, a therapy problem too. Mm -hmm. um, oh, uh, people who are developing, developing Parkinson's disease, for instance, sometimes will have uh, uh, eye coordination problems which need addressing. Mm. Uh, it's, it's just uh, any number of uh, degenerative uh, problems that can cause uh, a need for therapy. And uh, so anyway, maybe some other things will come to me. Well, thank yeah. you. Well, that's a, I think that's a great list in addition to the things we talked about, you know, mm -hmm. people who are struggling with, you know, learning comprehension problems, um, the post-concussion problems like we talked about earlier. I, I just think it, it's so great what you do and just the, the ways that I think as we've talked through this, it, it's so obvious that vision affects affects almost every area of our life. Like you talked about earlier, it's like, what are you going to be able to do with your eyes closed? But even with your eyes open, if you've got a visual dysfunction going on and you don't address that, it can really impact your life in a, a negative way. So the things that you're, you're doing at your office, I think are just outstanding. And yeah, it's really, really great to be able to talk with you about this. So yeah, we appreciate your time. And where can people find you? Your website, your physical location, social media, if you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kansas City Vision Performance or KCVisionPerformance.com is our website. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, actually, uh, I, I love chatting with my patients. So 913-515-9359. Yes. Love it. That is rare these days. Yes. So <laughs> Actually having a conversation. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Really. And we miss that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, no question is too, quote, dumb. And a lot of times people suffer with stuff for a, a long time thinking, well, that's just the way it has to be. You know that. I mean, you've, mm -hmm. you've yeah. you all the time. Absolutely. And, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's fun to dig in and see what we can do to help. Yeah, Absolutely. well, thank you so much for your time. We know your time is valuable. We appreciate having the opportunity to chat with you and most importantly, to have our listeners be able to hear about you and what you do, especially if they, they don't know who you are and haven't ever heard of your practice before. Yeah. Guys, we got a great resource here in KC. So check out Dr. Metzger. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Metzger. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. You guys are a blessing and uh, you, know, you know how it is. Uh, I work with my wife and you work with yours. <laughs> yeah. Supper time conversations that that help that patient just a little bit more. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yep. It works well. It so does. all right. Well take care. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Kansas City Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at RestoreThrive.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Restore Thrive is the home to Kansas City's top physical therapy and performance training practice. We're all about helping active individuals and athletes get back to the activities and sports they love without pills, injections, or surgeries. At our core, we believe that you should be able to grow strong and age gracefully. So whether you're trying to get ready for your next race, ready for your next workout, ready to keep up with your kids, 
pretty much ready to win at the game of life. Check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Restore Thrive. Until next time, be well, everyone.